Hello again, everybody. Uh, please do keep Genesis 12 and 13 open. It'd be really handy if you've got a Bible there in front of you. Uh, and let's pray together. Let's ask God to continue speaking to us this morning uh, through his word and by his spirit. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the precious promises that we find in your word. Lord, help us to hold fast to those promises, knowing that as we do so, that you are holding fast to us and you will not allow our faith in those promises to fail. And we bless you and we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing the story of Abraham, or Abram, as he still is, here in Genesis 12 and 13. And as we heard in that song that we sang at the start of the service, Abraham is given wonderful promises by God. Now, just to make sure that you are listening to the song, and hopefully that song is, was so repetitive and so catchy that uh, you can't get the words of the chorus out of your mind now, and it'll be in your head uh, for the rest of this week. But just to make sure you were listening, God's promises contained two things, a new something and a new something else. Both of them begin with a P. So if there's other people in the room there with you, just shout them out to each other. Uh, or if you're on your own, shout it out to me. That's right. It's a new people and a new place. Abraham uh, was promised that a great nation would come from him. And this nation, Abraham's family, would dwell in this new place, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And in that place, God's people, under his rule, would enjoy great blessing. And those two particular promises of a place and a people and the blessing of those people in that place were the foundation of Abraham's faith. God's promises were, were the, the rock on which his faith was built on. And we see actually that through the Bible, as we saw in that song at the start, that those two promises are foundational to really the rest of the story of the Bible. All the way through from Genesis to Revelation, and we see these themes of God's people and God's place being played out until we get to the final book, Revelation. And they're fulfilled ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ and God's people, uh, the, the church, uh, all of the people who've ever trusted in God throughout history are brought finally to God's place. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, and they are with God forever so these are really important promises but what i want to think about this morning is what does it look like in reality in real life to trust in these promises what does it look like uh, for an ordinary man like abram to trust in the promises that god has given to him and how should trusting in god's promises affect the way that we live in the here and now. And we know, I hope, that we should obey God, we should trust him, but what does it look like for us to do that? 
because sometimes the life of faith is not straightforward. Sometimes our obedience to God doesn't follow in a smooth line. Sometimes there are tests to our faith. Sometimes obstacles to our faith are put in our way and we have to maneuver around those obstacles. And sometimes as we do that, we might lose our course. We might lose our way. But those that God has truly called, like he called Abraham, God will not allow them to be lost on that journey that they're on. God is too committed to his promises to allow them to fail because of our lack of faith. God will hold us fast and God will remain firm in his promises to us. Uh, we see this happening in Abraham's life. In Genesis 12 and 13, Abraham faces two tests to his faith. And these two tests are caused by two crises in Abraham's life. And that's what happens when we go through a crisis. Uh, a crisis tests our faith. All of us are in a crisis at the moment that we've been plunged into without uh, any choice of our own. Uh, we're all locked down at the moment because of this virus. And it's a test of our faith. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. And it's also an opportunity for us to see God's faithfulness at work. And this is what happens to Abraham. And um, both of Abraham's crises, both of these tests of faith are to do with the land, with God's place. Uh, the first test is there on the screen already for us. I called it famine and fear. You can read this in verses 10 to 20 of chapter 12. There's a famine in the land of Canaan, verse 10. Uh, so what Abraham does, he, he goes down to Egypt. Now, last week we saw how Abraham made this epic journey uh, from way out in the east, uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And now he has gone to the promised land, the land that God has called him to. But no sooner has he arrived in the promised land that he's leaving it again. So if we have a look at this map on the screen, uh, we can see where Abraham has come from. Um, Ur, in that area of the world called Babylonia. And he's travelled all the way to that narrow strip of land by the Mediterranean Sea. And now he's left that land and he's gone into the land of Egypt, which is right down in the bottom left hand corner. On my left, anyway. So he's left the promised land. And Abraham is, is just beginning his walk of faith. He's a baby believer. And this is the first test he's experienced to God's promises. And all of us face different tests to our faith at different stages of life. Uh, but as I said just now, we're all in a particular test right now, a particular crisis uh, caused by this coronavirus. But each one of us will respond to this crisis in different ways. And this crisis will test our faith in different ways, depending on our situation and our personalities. Uh, for some of us, it might create fears over our, our own health, or maybe the health of those who are close to us. And we're worried about how they're going to get through this. Will they get the virus? And if they do, then 
how might that affect them? Uh, we might be worried about our income. Uh, maybe um, our income has, has lowered because of this virus, but maybe we can't work or our work is reduced. And we're worried about uh, being able to get to the end of the month and pay the bills. Maybe there's worries, not because we haven't got work, because, but because the pressures at work have increased because of this virus. And we're more busy and more stressed than we've ever been before in our work. Perhaps there are particular temptations that we're facing just because we have more time on our hands than we normally do. Or perhaps the very fact that we're on our own at home is causing particular worries, particular fears. Maybe it's causing anxiety and depression. And we feel that sense of isolation. This crisis will test our faith in different ways. But each of these tests is an opportunity for us to trust in God. And Abraham has an opportunity now as he goes into Egypt to trust God. The decision to leave the promised land isn't necessarily a bad one. But actually, it's the way that he responds when he leaves the promised land and he goes into Egypt that shows his lack of faith. Look at verse 11 and 12 of Genesis 12. Look at how he responds and what he says, particularly to his wife as they enter Egypt. He says to Sarai, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So Abraham wants Sarai to say that she's not his wife, but she's his sister, so that Abraham's life would be spared. And at this point, we, we want to say to, to Abraham, well, Abraham, really? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is going to allow you to be killed? Have you forgotten already the promises that God has given to you? He's going to make a great nation out of you. So surely it's in, in his interest to protect you. But Abraham has forgotten that. Why has he forgotten that? Well, what Abraham is allowing is his fear to overtake his faith. He's listening to his own fears. And he's not listening to God's promises. He's not speaking God's promises to himself. Uh, rather, he's hearing his own fears. And it's easy for us to do the same. Yeah. We can allow our fear to drive out faith. So we might uh, worry and we might uh, think, well, what if I get ill? What if somebody close to me gets ill? What will happen? What if we don't have enough money to get to the end of the month? What is going to happen to our, our family? How are we going to feed ourselves? How are we going to pay the rent or pay the mortgage? We, we might be thinking, what if this situation goes on for, for weeks and even months? How am I going to cope with, with the children? How am I going to cope being on my own for this length of time and not being able to get out? And we allow those fears to build in our hearts and our minds. And we start listening to those fears 
rather than listening to God's promises. But it is possible to use our fears and use the tests that we go through to actually grow in faith. How do we do that? We do that by remembering God's promises and speaking God's promises to ourselves so that God's promises drown out our fears. It's natural to have fears, but we need to uh, compare those fears and, and to bring those fears into the light of God's promises. Promises like we find in Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise that God has given to his people uh, throughout history, actually. So we can confidently say in response to that promise, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or you could say, well, what could a virus do to me? God is my helper. God is with me. He's not going to leave me when I'm at my, uh, my neediest. God is going to help me. So I don't need to fear. But Abraham doesn't do this. Abraham allows his fears to overtake him and he forgets God's promises. So look at verse 13. He says to his wife, Sarai, say you're my sister. And I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham actually is willing to lie and deceive to protect himself. And he's willing to put his wife in a very awkward and vulnerable situation so that his skin can be spared. Maybe he's in some ways trying to protect God's promises by protecting himself. But actually what he's doing He's putting God's promises at risk. But in spite of Abraham's faithlessness in this situation, God remains faithful. So Sarah does get taken uh, because she's a beautiful woman. And she gets taken into Pharaoh's household, the, the king of Egypt of all places. But God protects Sarah. And while God is protecting Sarai in, Ab in Pharaoh's household, God is also blessing Abraham. So even though Abraham hasn't really acted very well in this situation, he's still being blessed. Pharaoh gives uh, Abraham lots of, of things, uh, flocks and herds and, and people. Abraham grows rich because of this. So God is blessing and protecting Abraham. Because God is committed to Abraham. But then Abraham is confronted with his deception. His sin is found out. Verses 18 to 19. And he's banished from Egypt. Verse 20. But actually what this leads to is Abraham's faith being restored. So we see faith restored in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 13. So Abraham's faith has taken quite a detour. Uh, he's gone away from the promised land. And it seems like as he's gone away from the promised land that he's forgotten God's promises. But now he's back in the promised land. 
and he's back to the place where he started. And notice what he's doing. He builds an altar to the Lord and he's calling on the name of the Lord. It's a return to faith. But it's not long before another test of faith comes along. And and that often happens in our lives. We we get through one crisis and we think, phew, that's over. Uh, I, I can relax for a little bit. But then out of nowhere, another crisis begins. Right at the end of last year, just after Christmas, I broke my ankle and I was literally housebound for a number of weeks. I couldn't get out. I couldn't move around very well. Um, But I was just getting back on my feet, literally. I was getting back to church. I was starting to preach again. And then this coronavirus comes along and all of us are housebound. So I'm back in the same position I was before, really. I can't get out. And this often happens in life, doesn't it? Uh, One crisis follows on the heels of another. And that's what happens for Abraham. Uh, No sooner has he got through this crisis in Egypt caused by the famine. But now back in the land, another problem arises. And I call this this crisis, this test, family strife. Family strife. Uh, And that's in verses 5 to 13 of Genesis 13. Now, problems often happen when we're in close proximity to other people for a long period of time. I guess all of us are probably finding that at the moment. Uh, I think there's a lot of family strife probably going on in homes up and down the country. I know there's been some family strife in my home in the last couple of weeks and probably in yours as well. Uh, When people are close together and there's not much room, then often that leads to strife. And that's exactly what happens to Abraham and his nephew, Lot. Now, it's not that their house was too small. Actually, the whole land was too small for both of them to dwell in. And this is a problem that's caused by prosperity. God has blessed Abraham and his family so much that they got so many possessions, so many herds and flocks, that the land isn't big enough for both of them. So there's quarrelling starts this strife happens between uh, Abraham's men and, and Lot's men the land ain't big enough for the both of them so it's a crisis nonetheless though it's a crisis caused by prosperity so the question is how is Abraham going to respond to this crisis to this test of faith back in Egypt Abraham acted selfishly. He tried to hold on to what was his and he manipulated the situation for his own good. But we see here back in the promised land that he responds very differently to this crisis. Rather than acting selfishly, he actually acts generously. He puts somebody else before himself. He puts the needs of another of his nephew Lot before his own needs. In fact, he he says to Lot, look, the land is before you. You choose first. You choose what part of the land you want. And and I'll kind of take second dips. And remember, this is the land that God has promised to Abram. This is Abram's land. It's his land by rights. And he's willing to give this land up. 
He's willing to allow Lot to, to have the pick of the land. He doesn't jealously hold on to what was his. He's willing to let go of his rights for the sake of another. Uh, we're not quite at that point yet, Peter. If we just nip back to the, the previous slide. And it's important that we see that Abraham was only able to do this by faith. Abraham is acting in faith. And that is contrasted with Lot's actions. Lot is not acting in faith. Actually, when Lot chooses his part of the land, he is acting on sight. And that there's two contrasting ways of, of looking at the world and dealing with a crisis. We can either deal with it by faith or by sight, what we see in front of us. And the way that Moses writes this section, Moses is the writer of, of Genesis. Uh, the way he, he puts this, he wants us to see that Lot's decision and the way that Lot acted uh, was the wrong way. And the way that Abraham acts is the right way. So firstly, Lot looked and he saw that the land was good. He sees that it's well watered. And after experiencing a famine, he knows it's good to be in a place that's well watered. And so he, he looked and he saw that this land was good. And, and just the way that that's put to us should set alarm bells ringing. Because actually that's what Eve does. In the Garden of Eden, she, she saw that the fruit on that forbidden tree was pleasing to the eye. It looked good. And she acts in that moment, not by faith in God's promises, but by what her eyes can see. That's what Lot is doing here. And actually there's a, a reference um, in verse 10 to the garden of the Lord, to the garden of Eden, that reinforces that link for us. And also in verse 10, we've got this shadow of Sodom and Gomorrah that's looming over this whole account. Now, if you even know perhaps just a little bit about the Bible, you've probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. This was a place that was destroyed by God. Uh, now, that's not yet in the story of Genesis. It, that comes later on. But when we hear Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that that's not a good that's not a good place to be we know that although it might look good at the moment to lot actually this is a place that's going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone it might look good now but it's not going to last and what lot does as, as he is looking out over the plain of, of the jordan river he's actually turning his back on the promised land and he's turning his back on God's promises and he's turning away to the east now we can have a look at the map now and we can see that Abram and Lot at this point are probably somewhere um, between uh, Bethel and Ai and, and Hebron so somewhere in that area and what Lot does is he looks east he looks towards that area um, that's called Moab on the map. And he looks to those places of, of Zoar and Gomorrah and Sodom. And that's where he decides to move to. Uh, we saw last week, didn't we, that 
that Abraham moved as he obeyed God's promises and God's call from east to west. But here, Lot is moving in the opposite direction. He is moving from west to east. And in Genesis, moving east is always bad. Uh, Adam and Eve went out of the garden east and then Cain went even further east to the land of Nod. And uh, when the, the people built uh, the city in which the, the, the Tower of Babel was constructed, they went east again. So humanity moving east is a bad sign. And that's what Lot does. He moves away from God's promises. And actually, as he does that, he moves towards wickedness. He's moving away from God and towards wickedness and sin. That's the only alternative. If you're moving away from God, then you're moving to things that, that are anti-God, that are the opposite to, to what God is. And that's what Lot, Lot does. He pitches his tents near the city of Sodom. And actually, when we meet him further along the line, he's actually already got into the city. So he, he's actually living in the place of wickedness. But Abram is different. Abram looks at things very differently. He doesn't look by sight. He is looking and acting by faith. And what Abram is able to do is rather than uh, to take, as we, we're told that Lot does, he, he takes for himself. Abraham is able to, to open his hand and he's able to, to give away the best part of the land because he is allowing God to fill his hand. So he's allowing himself to be in a position to receive from God, to receive God's promises. And what a difference that is to how he acted in Egypt. And we find that as Abraham acts in faith, that his faith is reassured. You see this in verses, 13, uh, verses 14 to 18 of, of chapter 13. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. And this is a, a different kind of looking to how Lot looks. This is a, a looking in faith a looking that's commanded by God all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted go walk through the land walk through the length and the breadth of it for I'm giving it to you so Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre and Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So Abraham's faith is reassured here by God. Abraham gets an immediate assurance from God that actually he's done the right thing. That acting in faith was the right thing to do. And he is rewarded for that. When we trust in God's promises, and we, we do that actively. We, we actively step out in faith. What we often find is that our assurance in God's promises are, are strengthened 
we're reassured of those promises. And here the promise to Abraham is re-emphasized and strengthened. And Abraham is encouraged there in verse 17 to walk in faith through the land. It's a gesture of ownership to lay claim of the land as, as he walks through the length and the breadth of it. And it, as he does so, he's effectively saying, this land is mine. God has promised me this land. Well, I'm going to have it and my descendants are going to have it forever. This is an important lesson for us in how we can grow in our faith in God's promises. We don't just view God's promises as, as something that are distant, something far off and um, things that we can't really grasp hold of. God's promises are to be enjoyed. They're to be entered into. They're not vague and wishy-washy. God has given us real, solid promises for us to trust in and take hold of and enjoy for ourselves. Now, we don't have a, a physical land to walk through. Our promises given to us by God are, are spiritual promises. We are given spiritual blessings by God. Now we read about some of these spiritual blessings in the letter to the Ephesians. And some of those blessings are there on the screen. We've been chosen in love to be holy. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been redeemed through Jesus' blood. Our sins have been forgiven by God's grace. We've had the mystery of God's will revealed to us. We've been given an eternal inheritance. And just so that we can be really certain of that inheritance, the Holy Spirit living in us is that guarantee of that inheritance. And actually, when we think about the promises given to Abraham, in some ways, they're very similar to the promises that, that we receive from God. The promises to Abraham, although they were um, physical promises in terms of a, a land and a people, there's a sense in which they were also spiritual promises as well. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land to you and your descendants forever. And that makes us think that, well, maybe this land that God has in mind isn't just a physical place. It's something that will last forever that points us beyond the physical to something that is spiritual something that is eternal not just a physical home in this life in this world but an eternal home an eternal place that Abraham and his descendants will live in forever also the challenges that Abraham receives to his faith are similar to the challenges that we go through. Uh, they will look different to ours, but all of us go through challenges and tests to our faith. And Abraham had to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. That's the same for us as well. Uh, Abraham was there in the land. He was walking the length and breadth of the land, but he didn't yet own the land so he was in the land but the land wasn't his yet because there were lots of other people who lived in the land 
and the land by rights was theirs and not Abraham's. And yet God had promised Abraham this land. And so Abraham walks through the land as if it is his. And we have to wait for some of God's promises to be fulfilled. Like you have to wait for um, a flower to bloom. You, you plant it maybe um, in the winter and then you wait for the spring. And then in the springtime, the shoots come up and then we see that flower in full bloom. That's what it's like with God's promises. We have to wait for them to come into full bloom. And in fact, for Abraham, that didn't actually happen during his lifetime. So Hebrews 11 verse 13 tells us that Abraham died in faith, not having received what was promised to him. He saw them and he greeted them from afar and he acknowledged that he was a stranger, an exile on earth. In other words, he didn't belong in this world. Ultimately, those promises that God had given to him weren't going to be fulfilled in this life and in this world. And so Abraham was looking forward to another world. He was living between two different worlds. He'd left one home and he was on his way to another. And it was that future home, that eternal home, where all of God's promises would finally be fulfilled and finally and fully enjoyed by Abraham. It's the same for us. Walking by faith doesn't mean that we receive everything that God has promised to us straight away. In fact, we might not receive everything God has promised in this life, in the here and now. We might have to wait. And as we wait, we might get frustrated. We might wonder at times, well, is God going to make good on his promises? Will these promises really come true? Can I really trust them? But what living by faith does mean is that we, we live in the here and now as if those promises have already been fulfilled. We live in the certain hope and assurance that those promises are yes in Christ, that those promises are already ours, those spiritual blessings are ours already, that we can enjoy them right now, even though we know that there is a future day of, of greater fulfillment, complete fulfillment and complete enjoyment that we haven't yet arrived at yet. And if we can do that, if we can live in the here and now, in the certain hope that God's promises are true, and if we can act as though they've already been fulfilled, as we wait for them to be fulfilled, then that will transform the way that we live now. It will transform the kind of decisions that we make. It will transform the way that we respond to a crisis, to a test of faith. It will mean that as God's people, we will respond very differently to this coronavirus crisis then our neighbours are responding and our family and friends who aren't believers will respond differently to them because we are holding firm to God's promises. And as we do that 
we don't need to fear losing what we have in the here and now. See, we, we can let go of possessions. We can let go of, of people. We can let go of positions of, of privilege and responsibility. Knowing that God will give us something better. We don't have to, to grab hold and keep hold of things. We can let go. And we can do so in the attitude of faith, knowing that what we receive from God will be far greater than what we can get for ourselves. We can act like Abraham did and not like Lot. We can act by faith and live by faith, not by sight. And the more that we make decisions in that way, in a way that's governed by faith rather than by sight, the more our faith will grow. And the more we will grow through the various trials and tests that we face in our life. Uh, faith is like a, a muscle that we need to exercise. As I was recovering from my broken ankle, um, I, I haven't, I still have exercises that I need to do to build up the muscles in my ankle. And the, the tests that come our way, we can think of them like exercises to build up and increase our faith. But we need God's help to do this. Uh, Abraham was an ordinary guy. Uh, he was weak and he failed at times. And so will we. And so we need God to help us to hold fast to his promises. Trusting that as we do so, he is holding fast to us. He will not allow his promises to fail. He will not allow our faith in those promises to fail just as he didn't allow Abraham to fail. And so at the end of chapter 13, we find Abraham building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. We find Abraham crying out to God in faith. And we can imagine that Abraham is asking God not only to make good on his promises, but we can imagine he's also asking God to help him to keep trusting those promises. And we need to do that as well. Day after day, we need to call on the name of the Lord and ask him to help us to trust in the promises that he's given to us in Christ. So let's do that now together. Let's pray. Let's call on God's name and let's ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, you are so good and so gracious to us. You have called us to yourself. You have spoken your words to us and given us such strong and firm promises for us to trust in, for us to build our lives upon. Forgive us, Lord, when we, uh, when we go away from these promises and when our our faith in those promises fails. Forgive us for when fear comes in and it overtakes us and we lose sight of what you've spoken to us. In those times, Lord, please help us to remember your promises. Please help us to speak your promises back to our hearts and our souls. Well, thank you for that ultimate promise that you've given us 
to hold us fast through all the storms and all the crises of life. Thank you that your promises will not fail. And we trust you, Lord, to keep us close to you and to keep us trusting in every promise of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.